So a few years ago, author and speaker Shane Claiborne was being interviewed by an old Jewish radio DJ in Nashville. During the interview, the old DJ said, I've read the Bible. I didn't care for it much, but I like the parts in red. Of course, what the old DJ meant was the words of Jesus. In 1899, Louis Kolch printed the first red letter Bible. It was a copy of the King James Bible and the words of Jesus were printed in red. Well, this was particularly helpful because the King James Version doesn't have any quotation marks. So you could see where Jesus is speaking. The red letter Bible became incredibly popular, especially in the USA. It was Gandhi who said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I wonder how many people looking at the media's portrayal of Christians today might say the same thing. In a globalised world, evangelical Christianity in particular has an image problem. There are many people who are theologically evangelical but want to distance themselves from the racist, anti-gay, anti-feminist, anti-environmentalist, pro-war, pro-capital punishment caricature of evangelicalism that has built up in the media over the last few decades. Well, back in 2012, two prominent evangelical preachers in the US, Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne, decided that the word evangelical had become so polluted by the political right that it was no longer helpful. And I have to say, I agree. For some time, I've been unwilling to describe myself as an evangelical because of how that word is understood by my non-Christian friends, people that I want to introduce to church. So in 2012, Campolo and Claiborne began searching for a new word to describe their perspective on faith. And they settled on the name Red Letter Christians. Claiborne says this, not only to differentiate ourselves from the social values generally associated with evangelicals, but also to emphasise that we are Christians who take the radical teachings of Jesus seriously and who are committed to living them out in our everyday lives. Together, they published a book called The Red Letter Revolution and launched Red Letter Christians. Well, the good news is that Jesus has survived the embarrassing things Christians have done in his name. People today want a Christianity that looks like Jesus again. They want a church that is known for what we are for, not what we are against. For those that we have embraced rather than those that we have rejected. So here at Bessels over the next few weeks, we're going to take some inspiration from the Red Letter Christian movement and take a look at the Red Letter passages in the Bible. We're going to spend the next few weeks focusing on the words of Jesus, what he said and taught. So expect to be comforted and challenged in equal measure as we focus on the Red Letter passages together. But to kick us off, I thought it would be good to listen to Jesus, to listen to his words, to listen to the greatest sermon ever preached.
Blessed are the poor at being spiritual, for the kingdom of heaven is well suited to ordinary people. Blessed are the depressed, those who mourn and grieve, for they create the space to encounter comfort from another. Blessed are the gentle and trusting, those who are not grasping and clutching, for God will personally guarantee their share when heaven comes to earth. Blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. Blessed are those who give mercy, for they will get, get it back when they need it most. Blessed are those who have a clean window in their soul, for they will perceive God when and where others don't. Blessed are the bridge builders in a war-torn world, for they're God's children working in the family business. Blessed are those who are mocked and misunderstood for the right reasons, for the kingdom of heaven comes to earth amidst such persecution. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for although they don't like it, I do. All heaven applauds and you know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt. The seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing, about, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Don't suppose for a minute that I've come to demolish the Old Testament scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. I'm gonna put it all together, put it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground at your feet. Long after the stars burn out and the earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. Trivializing even the smallest item in God's law and you have only trivialized yourself. But take it seriously, show the way for others and you will find honor in God's kingdom. Unless you do better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. 
You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. Well, I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you might just find yourselves hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is this, words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and you're about to make an offering, then you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Well, abandon your offering, leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute, make the first move, make things right with them. After all, if you leave the first move to them, knowing their track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. And you know the next commandment pretty well too. Don't sleep with another's spouse. But don't think that you've preserved your virtue by simply staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices. They also corrupt. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful gaze. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on the moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire body being discarded for good in the dump. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally. Give her divorce papers and full legal rights? Well, too many of you are abusing the law, using to cover, divorcing for selfishness or on a whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral fa failure. And don't say anything you don't mean. This council is deaded, embedded deep in our tradition. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk, saying I'll pray for you and never doing it, or saying God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate your words to get your own way, you go wrong. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Is that gonna get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. And if someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, 
gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. Well, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish. To everyone, regardless of good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anyone can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others. The way God lives towards you. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theatre, but the God who made you won't applaud. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating the prayer meeting and street corner alike as stage acting. Compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. Well, they get their applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help others out, don't think about how it looks, just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God who conceives you in love is working behind the scenes. That's how God helps you out. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think that God sits in the box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God and just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with. He knows better than you what you need. With a God like this lovingly, loving you, you can pray very simply, like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right, do what's best, as in heaven, so on earth. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep, forgiving us, keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and from evil. 
You're in charge, you can do anything you want. You're a blazing beauty, amen. Yes, amen. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness for God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. When you fast and practice some self-appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act act normal outwardly. Wash and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face, God faced. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. And don't hoard treasure down here, where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, rust or worst, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven, where it is safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you'll most want to be and end up being. And your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body will fill up with light. Whereas if you live squinty-eyed, greed and distrust, your body will be a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, What a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship both God and money. If you decide for God, living a life full of God worship, It follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach and more than your outer appearance, than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than the birds. Has anyone fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten so much as an inch taller? All this time and money wasted on fashion, you think that makes much difference? Instead, look at the fashions, walk out into the fields, look at the wild flowers. They never primp or shop. Have you ever seen such colour and design quite like it? The 10 best men and women, best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wild flowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax and not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God, the way he works, fuss over these things 
but you know both God and the way he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticise their faults. Unless, of course, you want, that's the way you want to be treated. That critical spirit has a way of coming back to haunt you. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbour's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own faith, this face is distorted with contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part. So wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Don't be flippant with the sacred. Don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans. In trying to be relevant, you're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. Don't bargain with God, be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If a child asks you for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for a fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't do such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children, so don't you think that the God who conceived you in love will be even better? Here is a simple rule of thumb guide to behavior. Ask yourself what you want other people to do for you then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and the prophets, and this is what you get. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life and so to God is vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practical sincerity, practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off in some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma, look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your wallet. These diseased trees with their bad apples, they're going to be top chopped down and burned. Knowing the correct words to say, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience. Doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, master, we preached the message, we bashed the demons, 
Our God's sponsored projects had everyone talking. But do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words. Words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart builder who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a hurricane hit, but nothing moved. That house was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in, the Bi in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid builder who built his house upon the sandy beach. When the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. <laughs>